T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. And blast off. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Jake Schaefer Campaign. I'm your host, Jacob Mark Schaefer, and this is my campaign. If you're a fan of the show, thank you, and please share it with 30 other people. It is appreciated. Now, without further ado, the next episode of The Fleeting Prince. Chapter 17 At noon, several of the hedge knights lingering along the rear of the convoy had taken to assembling not far from the road for a bit of sport masqueraded as training. Not many. Fifteen or so men, along with their squires, spread out in a circle across the field, while some traders and common folk watched from a distance. The whole affair made for a rather cheerful spectacle, and the wistfulness of it all put a smile on Lennox's face, bringing him back to his own youth spent in the family courtyard, training at swords with his brothers. The shining armor the cheers of camaraderie. He shook his head. So long ago. Several of the squires took their turn. Draped in boiled leather and heavy mail, they struck at each other with dulled blades. Their knights stood watch, shouting out commands or corrections. A few of the squires showed promise, Lennox thought, as he listened to the ring of swords as they clashed against one another. But the show came to a halt when one of the knights stepped in to show his squire how best to deliver a side stroke. You need get lower, he began, else you're likely to lose balance if you're parried. Here, let me show you. The knight turned, gazing out among the crowd for a partner. Many of the other knights had been at it for some time now, and stood watching idly, when at last the hedge knight's gaze fell upon Lennox. You, he said, pointing to the golden knight. Good sir, won't you join me in teaching these lads a lesson? Something told Lennox it was no accident the knight had chosen him. He and Astrid had been watching closely these last few days. The entire convoy had been curious about the emissaries of Lord Magnus that had joined them on their journey. But the golden knight and his squire kept mostly to themselves, and Lennox had declined a few offers at sparring he had received, not wanting to draw attention to themselves. Yet the crowd had dwindled, so the golden knight simply nodded his consent and stepped out into the circle. He turned, catching a disapproving glance from Astrid before drawing one of his twin blades from his back, leaving the other properly in its place. A quiet murmur went around the field. More than one of the knights had wanted to test themselves against Lennox. It was rare for a knight of House Magnus to be seen fighting in such events, or at all in truth. The young knight watched Lennox approach with a smile. My helm, he said, and waited while his squire went to retrieve it, turning his eyes upon his opponent. I am told you call yourself Lennox, the knight began. I am Sir Gareth of Solaire. Lennox nodded, but kept silent. Sir Gareth's squire returned with the knight's helm, and a moment later he was fully dressed and ready to begin. Now watch closely, he told his squire, then went forward to meet Lennox. I was hoping we might put forth our full effort. You need not fight handicapped. In fact, I insist you don't. Lennox understood. He reached up to draw his second blade. 
In truth, he was more comfortable fighting with just the one, but sometimes it was best to immerse oneself in the unknown. Sir Gareth smiled cheerfully and dropped his visor, sliding out his sword in one smooth motion. In his left hand he bore a small wooden shield, with the emblem of Solaire painted upon it with bright colors. Well, shall we begin? But Lennox was already moving, and the young knight was hard-pressed to raise his shield in time. Lennox drove him back, swinging his twin blades in quick succession, attacking with every blow. It was new to Lennox, that no one watching would have guessed. The curves of the blades made them good for fluid strokes, meant to move from one strike to the next, and Lennox's golden armor hardly seemed to hinder him. All the field had grown quiet except for the repeated thud of Lennox's blades upon the young knight's shield. It seemed all Gareth could do was block until at last he saw an opening and sent a strike out toward Lennox's head, but the golden knight quickly stepped away, letting the blade pass inches from his face before slamming his foot into Sir Gareth's chest. The young knight fell to the earth with a crash, and a moment later, Lennox was standing above him, leveling a blade at the knight's throat. I yield, he shouted. Looking down through the slit of his helm, Lennox nodded. He returned his blades to their proper place, and offered the fallen knight his hand, helping him to his feet. The whole affair lasted less than a minute, but all the field stood murmuring over what they had just witnessed. Some knights spoke of how they might have countered the Golden Knight's technique, while others only seemed to laugh at the shortcomings of Sir Gareth. That was quick, a young girl, standing not far from Astrid, said to her companion. Though the girl spoke softly, Astrid could hear her quite clearly, and listened to their exchange with a sort of passive interest. I thought he did fine, the man replied. Though not dressed in armor, he looked like one who could handle himself in a fight. He wore the gold and yellow colors of Solaire, with a simple brigadine coat and a sturdy broadsword strapped to his side. The man continued. He was hopelessly outmatched, to be sure, but he handled himself well enough. Many would have fallen sooner. And how would you have fared? The girl asked. The man did not answer straight away, but stood considering the question carefully. Difficult to know for sure, he said at last though it seemed he did not like admitting it. He's fast. A lot faster than you would think, considering his armor. But I could outpace him, I warrant. Keep my distance and dance around him. Wait till he tires, then press in. Though I doubt he'd let it be that easy. The man stood shaking his head. He's not a man I would want to face on a battlefield. Well now, your honesty is admirable if not somewhat misplaced. Why would I retain you, if you admit that you are inadequate to keep me from harm? The man grinned and shrugged. I don't work for you, my lady. I work for your family, and the only reason I do is because the court guards prove themselves inept for the task. This brought a mischievous smile to the girl's face. She laughed. Yes, so they did. Through all of this, the pair kept their gaze upon Lennox, never turning to one another. Tell me, do all knights of House Magnus fight in such style? The man shook his head. Not at all, or at least none that I have witnessed, which is few enough to be sure. House Magnus is not known for their knights. It is magic they excel at. 
Any sorcerer of House Magnus can match even the strongest wizard from the guild. They are the strength of Lord Magnus's kingdom. The girl looked annoyed, but kept quiet. They patrol the lands in pairs, but often a knight may be seen as well, dressed in silver and carrying long lances, fashioned similarly to the ones you might see in a tourney. Oh, how strange. It seems we've come across an anomaly in our golden emissary. The man nodded. And his squire as well. Sir Sieg reported she's of the north. Astrid drew her cloak close and stepped near the pair, having grown interested in their discussion. But just as he drew close, the girl turned and departed, taking her tall companion with her. Astrid heard her ask something about her sister, but the man's answer was too muffled for her to make out, and then the pair disappeared, drifting along with the dispersing crowd. When she turned back, the field was all but empty. The convoy would be moving again soon, the knights and their squires, and anybody who had been watching, were making their way back to their horses for travel. Sir Gareth passed by as well, bearing the look of defeat, yet walking defiant, resolute to better himself as any knight who has taken a setback should. There was still heat in his eyes. It was a look Astrid approved of. You certainly gave them something to talk about, she said as Lennox approached. The golden knight did not answer her right away and instead lifted his visor, and stood watching Sir Gareth for a time. At last he turned and said, You're right, but they have been whispering about us for days. At least now they have something of sustenance to speak of. And in the meantime, I got to test my blades. It would not do to fight for true with unproven steel. Not when it can be avoided, that is. Either way, Astrid did not like the attention, and made it known to Lennox. The youth has talent, he continued, as they began making their way back to their horses. In time he will be ferocious, if he trains. One should never let themselves become stagnant. You were mired for ages, as I recall. It doesn't seem to have hindered you much. Lennox paused. Something in her words had struck him acutely. He lifted his hand, gazing down at them in thought. It costs me more than you shall ever know, he finally said, and then fell silent, not speaking for some time afterward. At last they reached their horses and mounted, spurring them forward to join the column of knights as they continued in their journey. It was later that night when the summons came. The convoy had stopped for the evening, and many had already pitched their pavilions, the ones that had them, that is. Many of the hedge knights had taken to sleeping under the stars, and that is where Lennox and Astrid were when the guards approached, resting quietly against a small sloping hill that ran alongside the road. Lennox could see the patrol walking towards them from a way off, carrying torches that set them apart and casting light upon a familiar face. Hmm... It appears our friend Sir Sieg has come to visit, Lennox said as he watched them approach. He stood, lifting his visor for a better look. As before, the company halted some distance off, and the aged knight strode forth alone. Greetings, he called out to the pair. Greetings, Sir Sieg, Lennox replied casually as Astrid stepped beside him. He continued, 
to what do we owe this honor? Princess Lucien requests your presence, Circe answered curtly, and expresses her regret for not reaching out sooner to the emissaries of Lord Magnus. She wishes to see us now, said Astrid, irritated. Circe could be heard grumbling something to himself before answering. She does, he said with a nod. She also offers lodging for you and your horses, if you so desire it. Oh, well, we'd be delighted. Would you mind giving us a minute to make ourselves more presentable? Asked Lennox. We'll be quick. Sarsig looked over his shoulder towards his men, and then back to Lennox before answering. Very well, he said. We were told not to delay but you shall have the time you need. I thank you indeed, Sir Sieg, said Lennox with a bow. Your kindness has not gone unnoticed. Lennox's words must have come as a surprise to the aged knight, for he looked back upon him with a puzzled regard. Finally, he straightened and nodded back. When you're ready, meet us upon the road, and we will escort you to our camp. Then he left leaving the pair alone once more. It would be better for us not to draw attention, Astrid said at once. Those were your words, if I remember. It was foolish of you to accept such a request. It would be foolish not to, Lennox replied, but Astrid was not convinced. If we were to deny her request, do you imagine she will just forget about us? Reluctantly, Astrid shook her head no. He went on. I had hoped we would go unheeded, but now it seems that shall not be so. We will go and meet the princess, be as dull as we can muster, and be on our way. For all we know, she is simply doing her duty. For some reason, Astrid smiled then, and her eyes grew soft with amusement. She looks lovely when she smiles. Lennox thought. He considered telling her so, but instead turned and made his way towards Alcivar. The horse wished his tail as his master approached, lifting his head up to better see. Now come, you should change from your riding chaps if you're going to stand before the princess. For a brief moment, Astrid almost commented on Lennox's own apparel, but when she saw the knight twisting at the serpent ring on his finger, she fell silent. Very well she began. Perhaps then I won't be treated as your squire. Perhaps, Lennox said with a laugh, and went about untying their horses. The camps on either side of the road became denser as they progressed, changing from the sparse knights to the more elevated traders, who aligned their carts in rows one after another. Some were already sleeping, but most were still about, tending to their horses, or sitting leisurely about. They watched as the company passed, but said nothing, and returned to their own errands after they had gone. At last the company turned from the path. A small trail lay almost unseen just to the right, and this they followed as it curved away, back up a narrow trail set between two rocky hills. They passed under several pairs of guards, who had climbed higher among the rocks, and now stood watch with bows in hand. The sentinels looked upon them with searching eyes, 
but made no move to stop them. Suddenly, they came out of the shadowed pass, and before them lay a wide field full of grass and flowers, silver under the moon, with a lesser stream that trickled before them. And resting in the center was a large marquee set upon three large poles. Many men and women were seated there, watching as a young man stood before the court, reading out from a scroll. The company halted and waited until the man was finished before entering. Three chairs were set apart from the others near the center, and resting upon them sat three women, each more lovely than the last. They watched as Lennox and Astrid entered. To the left was the youngest, though not much younger than Astrid. She looked upon them with a mischievous grin that seemed both guilty and innocent. Astrid nearly gasped when she realized it was the girl from before, the one who had been watching Lennox spar in the field earlier that day. She almost did not recognize her, so much was her transformation. Beside her sat her sisters, both tall and beautiful, draped in the colors of their house. It was plain to see who the eldest was, for her chair was centered and slightly larger than her sister's. She looked upon her guests with her hands folded before her and greeted them warmly. Welcome, friends. Long has our journey been. I have had much to oversee, else I would have called upon you sooner. Lennox had taken off his helm and had it tucked under his arm. He bowed and said, Do not trouble yourself with us, my lady. We are at your disposal while we ride within your company. He lifted his gaze just in time to see her eyebrows rise, a pleased expression spreading across her lips. She seemed a strong woman to Lennox, kind and dutiful, and though the weight of her position did not elude her, she bore it well. She went to speak when two ravens descended, swooping into the marquee from outside and circling the room for a moment before landing. One of them found their home on the shoulder of Astrid. Dark and sleek was the bird as it looked out across the court in silence. His twin landed just beside Lennox and hopped forward, stopping at the princess. Quack! The bird screeched. Quack! Quark! The ravens reminded Astrid of the two that had accompanied Lady Gwyn, whom she encountered while traveling east toward Lohalian. But whether they were indeed the very birds, she could not say. She had been surprised at first when the bird landed upon her shoulder, but she had remained quiet, letting it linger where it will. While most of the court cried out in surprise at the arrival of the twin ravens, Lennox kept his eyes upon the princess. The youngest found the whole thing more than amusing, laughing with delight every time the raven quarked. But her sisters did not mirror her brashness. They knew the ravens were servants of House Magnus. Princess Lucian kept her poise and looked long upon the raven before turning once more to Lennox as though it were all of no consequence. It was Lennox who spoke next. We offer our condolences on the passing of your father, my lady. Yes, thank you. He was a good king. My brother will make a fine ruler as well. He has been groomed for the position since infancy. She took a moment then, looking once more upon the ravens. Long has it been since an emissary of Lord Magnus came to our city. You shall have a place of honor at their inauguration. You show us great honor, princess, he began. 
yet I cannot say for certain we shall make it in time. Our first order is to seek convention with the Wizards Guild, and I do not know how long our task may take. It could be some time. I see, she replied, sounding almost amused. There was a strange glimmer in her eyes then, and though she was still smiling, she did not look happy. So much of our burden lies in obedience. I will not press you on the matter, but know if you should come to our city, seats of great honor await you. Long have we been at peace with House Magnus. We wish to honor that alliance. My lady, Lennox replied and bowed once more. His eyes flickered to the raven standing at the princess's feet and wondered how the encounter might have gone had the birds not come. Not so different, if he had to guess. But their arrival seemed to have shaken the gathering, all except for the youngest, who continued to watch both him and Astrid with the most unassuming grin. Their business concluded. Lennox and Astrid turned to leave when the youngest suddenly called out to the pair. I watched you fight in the field today, Sir Knight. Tell me, are you practiced in the magical arts as well, or are you limited to the blade? Turning, Lennox caught her eye and smiled. I am well practiced in magic, my lady, though I am not what I once was. I am told the sorcerers of House Magnus are some of the finest in the world. Many say they are stronger than even our most formidable wizards. Hmm, do they? I would have to take your word on that, my lady, for I am neither a sorcerer of my kingdom, nor have I seen such a duel as you describe. The girl smiled and laughed. Yes, of course, but such a contest would be wonderful to behold, I imagine. Quite so, replied Lennox. We're told your brother is quite the wizard himself, a prodigy even, Astrid said looking now at the young princess. Her curiosity piqued. The young princess turned her gaze upon Astrid. I've heard that as well, though it has been some time since I have seen him. We are very proud of him, said Princess Lucian, in a tone that signaled the end of the discussion. She was looking harshly towards her sister, though the young princess seemed to disregard her easily enough. Straightening, Lennox looked once more to Princess Lucian. Of course, he said with a nod. With your leave. There was a moment of silence as they turned and left, passing a pair of gentlemen who were coming to take their place before the council. That night, the pair slept in a pavilion prepared for them on behalf of Princess Lucian. It was more lavish than anything they had seen for many days, and for some time they spoke of the day's events and of the three princesses whom they had encountered. She is most unnerving, said Astrid. Which one? The youngest, Princess Maeve. Astrid was pacing about before Lennox in a discomforting manner. She reminds me of a fox, the sly thing, always smiling, as though all the world is hers to play with. She is a princess, my lady. All the world is hers to play with. Astrid stopped sharply. I am a princess, or do you take back your claim? You are, and you aren't, 
Either way, I advise you not compare yourself to one such as her. She is wild, the young princess, more so than any I have seen in a long time. Astrid laughed. That is not saying much, considering how much time you spent locked in a cell. I can't imagine you had many visitors. Well, that is true enough. He was grinning slightly, but hoped the jests would end there. He was in no mood for them to go much further. How much longer until we reach the guild? It's not far now. We'll pass Solaire in two or three days, and the guild is not much further. We shall reach it within the week. Good. I will feel better when we are rid of this company. It sounds as though this road is well guarded. Perhaps it would have been better had we never joined this convoy. No. The roads are well guarded, but still I would not sleep with peace if we were not in this company. Not with Americans have lost, and only you to stand watch. If a horde or some lesser creature were to attack, it would not bode well. With nothing more to say, a silence stretched on before the pair, until at last Astrid threw herself down upon her couch and fell at once into a long sleep. Lennox followed her example, placing himself upon the couch opposite Astrid. He removed his helm and set it on the ground beside him and looked long upon the sleeping girl. He wanted to take off his armor. In his cell it had always brought him comfort, but now, free in the open world once more, it brought him little relief. He wanted to remove it, but no, it was a foolish thought. He considered closing his eyes and drifting into a living dream, a memory of the past. But in the end he kept his eyes upon Astrid, watching her chest rise and fall with each breath, until the light of day was broad upon the earth before their pavilion, and outside the carts were being packed, and the horses made ready for travel. From then on, they continued to ride with the hedge knights near the rear of the convoy during the day, but returned to the main camp to sleep at night. They were not called again by the court, and on the morning of the third day, the road bent northward toward Solaire, but the pair pressed forward, separating themselves from the procession as they continued on towards the guild. Their departure was quiet, with no one there to see them off, but they had gone less than a mile when Astrid shifted in her saddle and caught sight of a pair of riders not far behind. She called out to Lennox, and together they came to a halt and waited. Curious. I wonder what she is hoping to attain, thought Lennox when he saw who it was. He glanced sideways to Astrid, but her face revealed little. Princess Maeve looked much as she had the first time he had seen her watching his duel in the field. Donning a pair of narrow riding skirts, dark blue with silver buttons that ran along the sides, and a pair of soft boots. Her gray cloak streamed behind her as she rode forth, bringing her horse to a halt just before the pair. Her hair was set in a single braid that fell before her shoulder, and she was grinning her same mischievous grin, as was her custom. Sir Lennox, Lady Astrid, a sudden desire to see my brother has fallen upon me, and I was hoping I might accompany you on your travels to the guild. Alsviar turned beneath Lennox, and he took a moment to rein him in before answering. Of course, princess. We'd be delighted. Though I must ask, 
and I do not mean to encroach. But are your sisters aware of your decision? Indeed they are, she answered quickly. I left them a note with my full intents. They can scarcely be upset with me wanting to visit my brother. But what of the inauguration? She laughed. It is not my crowning. It will probably go better in my absence anyway. No one really cares what I have to say on the matter. She turned then to her companion. This is Pharaoh, my personal guard. He shall be joining us on our journey. With a silent nod, Pharaoh acknowledged the golden knight. Yet through all the exchanges, neither he nor Astrid spoke. Princess Maeve seemed to have said enough for the three of them, and Lennox was left to fill the gaps. Astrid had already turned her horse and was continuing down the road with Pharaoh close behind her. Lennox could not decide if the man was there to protect the princess or serve her. For a moment his mind went to Shiva and Lady Soon, but no, Shiva served for different reasons. Pharaoh had the look of a mercenary in truth, a well-dressed mercenary, but a mercenary all the same. The man was a different kind of dangerous, Lennox decided. Through all of this, Maeve watched the Golden Knight with the keenest interest, always smiling as though she knew a secret and was holding it back. He booted Alsfira forward and heard a faint laugh escape Maeve's lips as she followed closely behind. This could be a disaster, reflected Lennox, suddenly regretting joining the convoy as they had. Princess Maeve did not seem to be the type to take commands well, and he hoped her intentions were truly that of visiting her brother. Yet a dark feeling fell upon him, and somehow he knew the truth of it, though she did little to hide it. As the company continued west along the King's Road, a group of small white cranes appeared from the north, and with their arrival came the salty spray of the slender sea. For a long while the road had taken them north, bringing them very near to the coast before again curving west towards a small peak that jettisoned out from the water's edge. Lennox recognized the birds from his youth, but it had been a long time indeed since he had seen them flying free as they were created to do. Not as high, and hovering above the water, a group of gulls swooped and soared, diving down towards the sea, circling about a single ship that sailed eastward towards the city of Solaire. The ocean breeze carried the sharp scent of salt, and did much to break the heat which had been growing as the day wore on. The sun was near halfway down the horizon, but it felt much earlier than that. Lennox had removed his helm that he might feel the wind as it blew against his face, he had dwelt so long in his dirty cell, surrounded by stale earth and rot, that he had forgotten what the clean air smelled like. Princess Maeve murmured something softly behind him, but he paid it no mind. He was content in watching the birds as they circled the ship, its white sails growing steadily smaller as it sailed off into the distance. Soon, though, the ship was gone altogether, and the birds were nowhere to be seen and all that could be heard was the soft rumbling of the ocean waves crashing against the stony cliffs. At first, Astrid had been displeased by the sudden arrival of the princess, but as time went on, she became altogether indifferent. She no longer felt the need to act as Lennox's squire, and rode forth as equals, with no word of rebuke from the knight. 
and while every so often he would catch Maeve watching them as they spoke, the princess seemed not to care. In fact, she smiled at the pair as though she had suspected all along. Pharaoh was another sort altogether. He was easy enough to converse with when addressed, but was more than content to remain silent and go unheeded. Still, he seemed amused by the chaotic antics of the princess, and sometimes, when he looked upon her, his lips appeared to quirk very near to a smile. It was not a look Lennox would have expected to see from such a man. Fixing himself upon his saddle, Lennox sighed. The road before them was flat, with lightly forested hills, but as the coast curved outwards, he could see rising from the sea a fortress of stone, connected to the adjacent cliffs by a massive bridge, with towering pillars that reached down into the waters below. Malhorn Peak, Astrid said, frowning. It was once called Valakay, an outpost of the northern kingdom, lost to Solaire during one of their many wars until at last the wizards took it for their own, claiming neutrality. Hmm. Lennox shook his head, flexing his hand before turning it into a fist. It had another name once, long ago, but it seems to have escaped me. Tyrion Alu, answered Maeve. A great watchtower meant to guard mankind, should the giants ever rise. In her soft voice, there was a note of admiration. With the sun finally setting, Astrid gathered her coat against the cold. Tyrion Alu, a great watchtower. She had never heard such a tale, and looked to Lennox for confirmation. A slight nod told her it was true. We should press on, Pharaoh said. No one argued, and soon they were on their way. Across the treetops, great towers rose, dark against the evening sky. There were countless clusters of trees that hid the fortress from sight for long stretches as they rode, but always there was one or two towers that peeked above the foliage, if one knew where to look. The trees along the pass began to thin, and fields of wheat began to appear, usually accompanied by a single farmhouse, or by a group of two or three. But though the sun was setting and the hour late, no men could be seen working the land, and no smoke rose from the tall stone chimneys. Both plows and wagons alike stood abandoned in the fields, their work left unfinished. At one house close by the road, the front door was left open, its windows shattered. Lennox lifted his visor as he passed, frowning as he peered inside. What do you think happened? Astrid asked quietly. I couldn't say, replied Lennox. It is no mystery, Pharaoh said, and gestured to the trees beyond the house. The frozen woods lie just beyond those trees, and hollows are prone to wandering these parts. This seems like the work of more than a few ghouls, said Astrid, as she gazed back across the empty farms. It was then that she caught sight of Maeve, and for once the young princess was not smiling as she looked about the land. She lifted her reins and pushed her horse forward until she was beside Pharaoh and spoke softly into his ear. Neither Astrid nor Lennox heard what was spoken, but when she had finished, Pharaoh simply nodded and turned his horse from the path, spurring him forward into a swift canter south to the woods. When Maeve turned to Lennox, she was smiling again. Do not worry, he won't be far behind us. 
Lennox watched as Pharaoh rode away, his small form lost in shadows until he disappeared completely from view. Strange. I thought I was beginning to understand that one. Perhaps his affection for the girl is stronger than I thought. Malhorn Peak was built upon a high promontory just off the coast and was connected by a single bridge. It was not as tall nor as spectacular as Lahalian, which shook the very air with strength and power, but the massive walls that stood on opposite sides of the passage offered their own sort of shield. The dark stone was sternly implacable, showing the true intent of its builders. Lennox looked upon the gate which stood closed when a single voice called out, who stands before the guild? Name thyself and thy purpose. I am Sir Lennox, emissary of House Magnus, and with me ride my companions, the Lady Astrid and Princess Maeve of Solaire. Both Astrid and Maeve threw back their hoods as he spoke, revealing themselves to any who should look upon them. After a brief moment, the gates before them opened revealing half a dozen wizards draped in the traditional garb of the guild, each one bearing a staff of varying shape, or wand. Yet Lennox could not help but notice that more than a few of them carried a broadsword or mace about their waists as well. Their horses were tethered nearby, fully saddled and ready to ride at a moment's notice. The guards made no move to intercept Lennox or the others. Indeed, they separated, making a path for them to pass. Din Karuni one said, falling to his knee before the princess. Have you come to make your claim? Peace, Reniel, was all she said, and the man at once fell silent, and all the others remained standing as they passed, but their interest in Maeve was plain to see, whether it be reverence or fear. Lennox looked surprised, and turned his eyes upon Maeve. Well, she's a witch, is she? Curse me for not noticing it earlier, he thought. It was then that the princess caught his eye and smiled as though her secret had been let out. As they rode across the bridge, Astrid nudged her horse to the side and peered down. The sea below was a storm of froth and stone. The white waves crashed upon the cliffs in an endless cycle. She furrowed her eyes for a better look, but saw only chaos. To attempt to scale the island from below would be madness. Behind them, the front gate swung closed. Lennox led them forward through the second gate, which opened as they drew near. Much like its twin, the gate was draped in dark metal and was guarded by a dozen men. Din Karuni, we welcome your return, one of them called out from the gate tower, and beside him, two more took to the knee. The inner courtyard was a large open street, paved with stone blocks and set between towers and battlements as stern as the iron gates. Hmm, it was wise of them to claim this fortress as their own, Lennox thought, as he looked about, for the stronghold was indeed formidable. The street was crowded with people, the displaced farmers and their families come to a place of refuge. They stood with dull eyes and faces blanked with emotion, watching as Lennox's party rode through. A few of them had carts packed with their belongings, and sitting atop them sat the children, their faces as empty as their elders. 
their eyes more hollow. A chilling sight, even through the narrow view of Lennox's golden helm. He looked away. Perhaps now would be a good time for us to separate, my lady, Lennox said, turning to Maeve. Nonsense. Did you believe I would come all this way and not learn what your errand was? She shook her head and smiled. Besides, in this state, who knows how long it might be before you are allowed admittance. You have business to attend. Well, no one can assist you more than I. She kicked her horse so that she was before both Lennox and Astrid, and called back. Now come, let us not delay the revealing. Not when we are so close. Though the streets were congested with people, they had not yet fallen into turmoil, and Maeve was able to lead them through with ease. The stables were just off the street, and Lennox was more than happy to relax Alcivar for some well-earned rest and food. Beside him, Astrid went about untying her belongings before giving up Akavar to one of the grooms. She handed the youth an extra silver piece and told him to feed him their freshest apple as a treat. The boy smiled and assured her he would. They found Maeve speaking with a single guard, set in plate and mail, and carrying at his side a sword with matching dagger. Clearly not a wizard, the man wore a deep blue cloak edged in black over his armor with the cresting sun of Solaire set upon the back, as well as a gray surcoat bearing a shadow set inside a ring of light. He wore no helm, and kept his hair short and clean. It is good to see you, my lady. He turned then, catching the sigil of Lord Magnus upon Astrid's chest. You bring intriguing guests with you. I did not bring them, Maeve replied. In truth, I am in their company. He turned back to the princess. It matters not. Word was sent to the council of your arrival as soon as you pass through the gate. They are awaiting your presence. Follow me, please. As he led them into the fortress, along cold passages set with dark tapestries, he spoke of the farmers and the attacks. I am glad for your safe passage, my lady. Some of the villagers reported seeing twenty or thirty hollows at a time. They emerged from the woods and descended upon a single home, before returning to the trees. The people no longer feel secure. The narrow halls were dark, lit only by small sconces set far apart. Surely these stories are felicious. Hollows have never moved in such numbers, Maeve replied. Have scouts been sent out? The man turned and nodded, but he could not hide the grim look in his eyes. Three days ago, men were sent out to search the frozen woods. The first to return reported nothing but others said they found strange trails set deep within the snow. Large patches of snow that had been flattened due to the passage of many feet. Another wave of scouts has sent this morning, and we now await their return. Let us hope what news they bring will cast light upon this strange mystery, Maeve said, though she was not smiling anymore. Behind her, Lennox and Astrid exchanged a look, and the Golden Knight shook his head no. In silence, they were led before the council. There the short-haired man bowed and excused himself, claiming the press of his duties. Mikhail, Maeve called as he left. Pharaoh should be following in our wake. Make sure he is not hindered by the guards. I will, my lady. And with that he departed. The room was dim, 
lit by a string of hanging orbs similar to Lennox's own spell of illumination. They were the first thing to catch his eyes as he entered, for though similar in design, they were inferior to his own incantation. He couldn't help but laugh softly to himself. Perhaps he was not as weak as he first supposed. But then he thought of the Oathkeeper ring, twisting at it with his thumb, and a darkness fell upon him. Once he had wielded real power, but no longer. The room was not large and was sparsely decorated. A single tapestry hung beyond the dais, covering the length of the wall portraying two wizards, standing with their staffs before them as though in a duel. Framing the tapestry was a pair of racks. One held a clear staff that appeared as though it were made of glass, and beside it stood a second, smaller staff. This one looked as though cut from stone. From the other rack hung a suit of armor, incomplete, for both the helm and left gauntlet were missing. Yet upon the breastplate, inlit with gold, was the sigil of the guild. A single table sat upon the platform in the shape of a crescent moon, so that those who sat at it could see one another clearly. There were five chairs placed at the table, yet only four of them were occupied. None of the council rose as Maeve and the others stood before them. Indeed, it almost seemed that they were unaware of their presence, so much they were involved in their own affairs. The table was littered with maps and pens standing in ink pots, while aged men sat reading and rummaging through sheafs of paper. Astrid thought the whole affair rather bizarre, until she saw that one of the men had been looking at them the entire time, and seemed only to be waiting while the others finished. Maeve, too, stood in silence, neither speaking nor being spoken to. One by one, the wizards of the High Council set down their papers and took notice of Maeve and her party, until there was only one. And when he had finished, the party was complete, and he quickly cleared his throat and called out, Din Karuni, it is good to see you. Master Royce, Maeve said with a small bow, her smile ever-present. Master Royce sat to the far left of the council, and while he seemed openly pleased as he looked upon the princess, the others did not match his demeanor. Indeed, the remaining three looked annoyed by her presence, their eyes cold and distant. Din Karuni, another began. He was the youngest of the four, and sat beside Master Royce. When you stood before us last... You swore it'd be many years before your return. Yet not even three seasons have passed. Tell us, why have you come? A wolfish grin appeared upon her face, and Lonnox found himself wondering what the girl had done to deserve such consternation from the council. Whatever it was, he was confident it was well earned, for the girl was wild, and rules did not become her. My visit is not my own, Master Bowlin, she replied, sounding pleased. I come as a companion to Sir Lennox and Lady Astrid, emissaries of Lord Magnus. They have business with the guild, and I simply followed along. Of course, while I'm here, I would like to see my brother, but as to my dealings with the council, they must wait. I will not delay my companion a moment longer, for their errand is urgent, or so I perceive. They have said nothing of detail to me. Surprised at her reply, Master Balin turned his attention towards Lennox and Astrid. Well, this is quite unique, Master Roy said, speaking up. All four of the council looked upon the Golden Knight and his companion, seeing the sigil of Lord Magnus clearly upon her chest. 
It was now that a third member spoke, the oldest of the council. He sat in the center with a staff leaning beside him. Long was his beard, laid like snow upon his knees, and in his eyes there shone a white light, as if a deeper understanding was in his heart. Long has it been since we had dealings with that sorcerer. Tell us, is all well with Lord Magnus? He had addressed the question towards Astrid, to her surprise. Well enough, she answered, after a time. It was at that moment that Lennox removed his helm. He had been hesitant at first, concerned that his ring of illusion would fail before such men, but then he remembered Lord Magnus had asked him to remove it as well, and decided the ring's magic was more powerful than he had first thought. Fade had crafted it for a wizard, he recalled, and for the first time he wondered who that wizard might have been. That is pleasing to hear, Royce replied, looking now upon Lennox. His eyes twinkled with laughter, though he gave no other sign of joy. The last time Lord Magnus had dealings with the guild, I was only a boy, hardly a novice. He turned then, and spoke now to his elder. You had just made tutor, Master Elidin, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct, Master Royce, replied Elidin. But let us set aside idle talk. For your pupil is not wrong, and there is urgency in our guests. Sent, they say, at the command of Lord Magnus. Perhaps that is half true, for I remember, I remember his servants of old, and the sorcery that clung to them. Some of it clings to you as well, my lady, but I see none upon this golden night. Tell me, what is your purpose here? At his words, a somber mood fell upon the room, and Lennox stepped forward in answer. Master Elidin, we seek an audience with Prince Oscar of Solaire, the purpose of which we cannot reveal, except to the young prince himself. Before he finished speaking, he heard Maeve squeal with delight. Elidin frowned. Prince Oscar is in the middle of his trials. If we could but speak to him for a moment. Nothing can interrupt the trials once they have begun, Sir Knight, Master Balin interrupted. For a thousand years the sanctity of the guild has been sustained. You will wait till he is finished, or you may leave. The choice is yours. Lennox bowed in reply. Of course, I apologize for pushing the matter. We will wait until the young lord has finished. Tell me, how long do these trials normally last? Maeve spoke in answer. Three weeks, though I finished mine in less than two. Enough, Din Karuni, snapped Master Bowlin. We do not speak of such things before outsiders. As it is, we have matters of the guild to discuss, several of which pertain to you. We were going to wait, but now that you are here, I see no reason for us to delay such materials any longer. As Lennox stood listening, a strange noise began to echo through the room, so soft and subtle that he wasn't sure what he was hearing, or if it was even real. I'm not here to discuss guild affairs, Maeve answered. I am only here as companion to Sir Lennox and Lady Astrid. 
Yes, you have made that clear to us, Balin replied. Yet their business is concluded at present. They are free to reside within Malhorn Peak for the time being. But you are not released from your duties. Lennox tilted his head. It was a horn, he was certain. Its call was dim but unmistakable. He looked about the room, but none of the others seemed to have taken notice. He strode forward. Then his eyes fell upon Maester Elidon, and he halted, standing stiff as stone. You hear it as well, Sir Knight? Elidon asked. The question filled the chamber, bringing a halt to both Maeve and Master Bowlin. They turned in unison, looking towards the age wizard. Hear what? Bowlin asked. A horn, distant but immense, Lennox replied. I hear it too. Master Royce's chair scraped across the floor as he stood. That is no warning of ours, but I fear its message. Maeve was looking to Master Royce for an explanation when she heard it as well, a soft horn blowing in the distance. Yet it felt close somehow. She was befuddled then, unsure of how she could have missed it. Her eyes darted towards Elodin and then Lennox. They had both heard it before her. The knight was more powerful than she first thought. What horn? Astrid found herself ask as she turned to Lennox. I hear nothing. Nor would you, Lennox replied. It is an enchanted call. Only those practicing magic can hear its blast. Only a great wizard or sorcerer could have produced such an instrument. But what does it mean? Maeve asked. It means fear, Din Karuni, Elodin answered, rising from his seat. It means foes. The guild is under siege. <laughs>